Welcome to the Anchor Lincoln Weekly Podcast. This week, Pastor Matthew continues in our new sermon series, Servant King, with a talk titled Becoming Childlike. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Mission trips, and literally no one was edified by it. Um, It's horrible for everyone involved, but I didn't think so. I remember having a conversation with a, uh, one of the girls on, on the worship team or missions team, and I was just like, I just, you know, typically I don't sing well, but when I'm leading in worship, I feel the Holy Spirit just grab a hold of my vocals, and I just feel like it's good. She's like, yeah, I see it, and I see it, which is a way of saying, bro, you need to chill. Two years of this, two years I was pursuing my mentor who was a worship pastor and saying, hey man, listen, I think you need to train me up because God has set me apart for this. And finally, in a public setting, at a group, I said, hey, Luis, please, can you teach me how to sing now? And he looked at me in this public setting and said, Matthew, I don't think music is for you. It's not the move, bro. He flipped my script. (laughs) You see, in my mind, I had it all planned out. The narrative was I was just going to keep getting better and start writing albums and lead people in worship. And he told me, listen, that's not the narrative. (laughs) It's something else. That's not the plot. That's not the what. Have you ever had your script flipped? It was a September day in Birmingham, Alabama, 1962. There was the Southern Christian Leadership Conference going on, and Martin Luther King was giving a speech. It was about 11 a.m. As he was nearing the end of his speech, as he was landing the plane, a six-foot-two, 200-pound white man named Roy James leapt out of the sixth row and onto the stage and began to sock Martin Luther King. He hit him first in the jaw, yet King did not recoil with retaliation. He hit him again in the nick, the neck, and again he did not retaliate. Finally, some of King's associates jumped up and began to defuse things and Before his associates could forcibly throw King out of the, or or James out of the door, King yells, stop, don't touch him. We need to pray for him. And he took James and the other associates and they went backstage. And this is the picture of that conversation. King talking with James, notice the woman caring for James. Leaning over, Rosa Parks was in attendance. She went out to get him uh, a soda, something to drink. And by the time she had come back, King had already given him something to drink. They were caring for the one who had violated him. He had flipped the script on James. James was, uh, had, had been a part of the Nazi, the American Nazi party. And this is how he was treated. Rosa Parks said after that day, she was again in attendance. She had said that, uh, to the, to the point of, uh, the fact that King, uh, did not retaliate was more powerful than a hundred fists. 
That was the power that flipped the script on James. That flipped the script. That spirit of enemy love that derived from Jesus who said, turn the other cheek and love your enemy. It's that spirit that flipped the script on James and many like him. In fact, when the police showed up, King said, I don't want to press charges. I don't want to press charges. The police were like, no, that's messed up. We're pressing charges. And he ends up going to to jail. But nonetheless, we see King flipping the script. You know, Jesus oftentimes flipped the script. Throughout his ministry, there were similar moments where he turned things upside down. When he said, hey, you're looking at it from this perspective, but this is the right way. This is the way right here. We're not going down that path. We're going down this one. I think of uh, football or, or uh, basketball. In football or basketball, there's this phrase, uh, getting your ankles broke. You break somebody's ankles, they think you're going right and you go left and they end up on the ground. It's what Jesus did throughout his ministry. He broke the ankles of the Pharisees who said, you can't touch that unclean person. Jesus said, watch me. The leper who comes to him, are you willing? What does Jesus do? He doesn't adhere to the laws that say, don't touch an unclean person lest you be unclean. But he reaches out his clean hand, sin-free hand, and places it on the leper and says, I am willing, be clean. He flipped the script on those who were being marginalized and provided a place for them in the narrative. Just verses prior, he flips the script on the religious leaders who were saying, hey, can can we just divorce the women? (laughs) Like, like, can we, what do we got to do to divorce women? You see, the culture at the time was pretty simple. Men could do whatever men wanted to do and women just had to stay home. That was the culture. Women didn't have a voice. And what Jesus says is, no, you can't just divorce your wife because you're unsatisfied. Marriage is a covenant, not a phase. Marriage is a covenant with grounds of care, of mutual submission, of love and support. He flips the script and gives women a voice. You see it throughout his ministry. Using women as examples. Mary Magdalene, an example of what true faith and discipleship looks like. He flips the script when he allows the women to find the empty tomb and then to go on and tell the disciples. Knowing that culturally speaking, that was not the most winsome route. Jesus flips the script. He flips the script on the ethnic tension when he uses the Samaritan as an example of what it looks like to love. He uses the Samaritan as an example. And then he says, hey, listen, disciples, guess what? You go to Jerusalem. You go to Judea, you go to Samaria, but you go to the ends of the world with this truth so that every nation 
would receive the good news. He flips the script on the ethnic tension. Jesus is a script flipper. And he does so in today's passage. In today's passage, there's the scene of of Jesus being Jesus and the disciples all around him. And these parents begin to bring their children to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to bless him. This was common. Rabbis blessing kids, dedicating them to the Lord. Yet the disciples stepped in. Can you imagine the scene? Imagine it with me. It's hot out. You're sweaty. There's sand on the ground. You're one of the disciples. You have Jesus right next to you. Jesus being Jesus. He's probably got a glow about him. Likely got a glow about him. And then you see these parents coming with their snot-nosed kids. And you look to Peter. And you say, Peter, who do they think they are? Who do they think they are bringing these grimy, germinating kids to Jesus? Our rabbi? No, we got to shut it down. And you're like, yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Don't worry, Jesus. We got you. And you get in the way. And you start saying, no, 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 no. Back up. Do you know who that is? And then what happens? Jesus is like, thank you so much, Clarice. I needed that help. I almost got a cold. Look at the snot on that one's nose. Oh, God, thank you. No. Jesus becomes indignant. He becomes angry. There's only a few times in the New Testament where Jesus gets indignant, vexed with his disciples like that. And he rebukes them for rebuking the parents, bringing their children. Can you imagine the script flip on that for the disciples? What just happened? (laughs) The other rabbis would have patted us on the back. (laughs) Said, great job, now go get me a latte. But you rebuked us. We were supposed to be the examples. You see, the disciples, they had sold Their homes, they had sold their possessions to follow Jesus. They had walked out on the family business. They had walked out on friends to follow Jesus. They were supposed to be the examples, yet Jesus flips the script and points to the kids. It was revolutionary. It was otherworldly. It was a kingdom. So what are the lessons we can draw from this? The first lesson we can draw from this is that Jesus cannot be uh, confined to our cultural boxes of how we want him to look. You see, the disciples, they wanted him to look like uh, a magnificent king. One that would come and just with a snap of the finger, with a flick of the wrist, destroy the Romans. Just wipe them out the oppressors. Yet Jesus doesn't come like that. And remember back to what Ty was preaching on last week in Mark 9. The disciples had seen Jesus in his glory. They had seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration next to Elisha and Moses. They had seen him dazzling and white, whiter than any white in the world. He had seen him in his glory. And so they had seen him in in all of his majesty. 
And so all the more they were fueled with this vision of Jesus as king. Yet Jesus shatters that because Jesus was more than just a king. He also was a servant. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. He was totally different. He flipped their script. Jesus, we see, is, is a script flipper. The second thing we see, or the second lesson we learn, is bring the children. Bring the children. We were talking about it before I came up here. That would be a weird slide if someone just saw that. No context. You just come into church and you see that. You might just walk right out. Bring the children here right now for cult stuff. Bring the children. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom belongs to such as these. And he would go on. And it reads, and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Bring the children. You know, sometimes we think um, that children can't handle the reality of Christ. So we hinder them from experiencing Christ. We hinder them because we think it's above them. Or we step into our current cultural mode that says children are kind of a nuisance. So can we just shut them up and put them in front of a screen back yonder so we can do adult stuff? Yet Jesus says, bring the children to me. Bring them to me. Bring them into my presence. We play a role. And this role does not just land on parents. This role lands on the people of God to bring children into his presence. To bring them in a space where they can be embraced and blessed by Jesus. Bring them to the presence. Bring them to the presence. I was talking with a buddy of mine who creates space every morning for devotions with him and his family. He knows his wife do. And they have this moment of silence where they're just trying to say, okay, let's just listen for the Lord. What is he saying today? And their little girl, she's about four years old during this time of silence, begin to whisper under her breath, I love you too. I love you too. I love you too. And after the 30 seconds was up, they asked her, Hey, baby girl, what, what were you talking about? What did you hear? And she said, the Holy Spirit was telling me that he loves me. I love you too. I love you too. Bring the children. Bring the children into the presence. Teresa has no idea I'm going here right now. She has no idea, but the work she is doing downstairs along with our faithful uh, uh, volunteers are leading children into the presence, leading the children into worship. Listen, it's not childcare downstairs. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. It's formation. It's cultivating environment where our kids can come home singing of the good news of Jesus, witnessing to us who think we're so above them, leading them into the presence. It is one of the most important works we can do to lead them to Jesus, to bring the children to Jesus. 
And it's simple. It's so simple. In fact, Omar and I were talking a few weeks ago at a pastor's retreat, and um, we were just talking about teaching our kids to pray. He has a, a little girl, him and Nancy have a little girl, Mahalia, that are about the same age as McCoy, two and a half, three years old. And we were just talking about the power that comes through simple prayers and how at night we pray with our children. And, and Mahalia is beginning to re- rehearse and, and, and recite the prayers that they pray. And McCoy, he's starting to say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I say, McCoy, can you pray over Mooney as he's getting ready to go night-night? He said, yeah, hold hands. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In fact, I was gone, uh, not last night, the night before, as my father, he's in the hospital, drove to Idaho Friday. And Friday night, uh, Kate goes to put him to bed. And, and Kate spends all day with him. Right. So the daytime's Kate time with with McCoy and Mooney. So she's real quick in and out with bedtime. <laughs> Listen, I need a break. I get it. She forms them throughout the day. And, and my time is at night in the evenings and in the mornings. So she went to put him down as usual. And he says, no, <laughs> something to the, the, the saying, hey, I need to read my Bible and pray. McCoy does not talk like that. <laughs> I don't even know how he did book. Pray. I don't know what he did, but he told her, hey, I need to read the Bible and pray. (laughs) And how McCoy does it. Bring the children. It's the simple things. It's the habitual things. It's day after day, not just for parents, but brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, fellow members of the church, bringing the children to a place where they can receive the blessing. So Jesus, he says, the first lesson is kids matter to me. Stop getting in the way. Stop putting them right in front of Coco Melon all day. Give them a little bit of Jesus. They can hang with me. I want to bless them. The second thing, the second lesson is to become childlike. To become childlike. You know, again, you would think that Jesus would point at the disciples and say, that's the example. They left their businesses to follow me. But no, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Never. There's no, there there feels like no wiggle room with the word never. Like when Jesus says never, he means it. And he's saying, if you don't, Receive the kingdom like a child. You will never. Can you imagine, Peter? Never. Like you just took me on the mound to to see Elijah and Moses. Remember Jesus when I said like, we could build some tents or something. Stay here for a while. Get comfy. Like Jesus, like I know you. And you're saying never unless I receive the kingdom of God like one of those. Never. You see, the call on our life is to be childlike in our faith. Not childish. Hello. Some of you, like, that's a word for you. No. <laughs> you know who you are. I said, I'm not going to point you out. Childlike. 
You see, the difference between childlike and childish is childish is me, 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 me. Jesus doesn't say take every part of a child and become like that. He's not talking about their nature of, hey, that's my toy. That's how me do it. Give it back. I'm going to smack you if you come near my toy. No, I don't want to eat that. I want chicken nuggies. I don't want the fruit. You get chocolate milk? <laughs> That's childish. Sometimes we slip into that childish nature, don't we? Because we live in a culture that green lights it. Yeah, sure. You can grow up at 40. Why not? Yeah, sure. You could just pursue whatever you want at everyone else's expense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 why not? Just grab your toys and keep them away from everyone. Yeah, why not? Go out and get yours. Do you. Treat yourself. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is looking at the base characteristics of a child in relation to their parents and a healthy familial structure and saying, emulate them, emulate them, emulate them first and leading with trust, lead with trust. To be childlike means to lead with trust. McCoy and I in our our bedtime routine, I give him his toothbrush. He has zero understanding of what is going on. Like, I don't even think he knows what a toothbrush is. I mean, he can identify it, but like, what's the purpose? I put it in my mouth, I rub it on my hard things in here, and daddy claps for me. (laughs) What's going on? There's zero understanding in his cute little noggin of what is going on. But he trusts me. He trusts me. He doesn't understand everything. He doesn't understand the the concept of uh, dental hygiene, but he trusts me. Jesus, as it pertains to the kingdom, is asking us to lead with trust. As I mentioned, my father, he's in the hospital right now, his congestive heart failure, amongst other things. And he has yet to give his life, at least to my knowledge, to Jesus. And he's getting close. So every time I'm with him, every time I'm on the phone, I am making it a point to point to Jesus. To point to the one who can save him eternally. To point to the one who will embrace him when the lights go out. And as I was praying with him or sitting with him, I pointed him to Romans chapter 10. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And I looked at him and I said, Father, I don't call him Father, I call him Pops. (laughs) Daddy make light of a troubling situation laugh it off I said pops you don't have to have it all worked out just lead with trust you don't have to have it all worked out you don't have to know what this means for every little thing in your life right now but lead with trust lean in with trust and know that his way is better You see, God is inviting us to do just that, to lead with trust. God, I don't know about this whole identity thing, but I'm going to lead with trust. God, I don't really know the proper hermeneutic to apply to your word to derive truth properly, 
But I'm going to lead with trust that this is your word. I'm going to grow in community. God, I don't fully understand what this means for my finances, but I'm going to lead with trust. God, I don't really know what this means for my clout, but I'm going to lead with trust. God, I don't really know what this is going to do to my following on Instagram, but I'm going to lead with trust. God, I don't really know what's going to happen with this relationship now, but I'm going to lead with trust. He's asking us to lead with trust. Even if we don't have it all worked out, even if we can't understand it, he's saying my way is better. It leads to life. Trust. So the first thing we do is lead with trust. The second thing we do is embrace dependence. Oh, y'all don't like that word. Dependence. Dependence. God, everything I have, everything I am is dependent upon you and your grace. Just like our children are dependent upon us to feed them. To change their diapers, to change their clothes, to put a roof over their heads, to protect them. So we depend upon our heavenly father, who is good, by the way, not vindictive, who doesn't delight in our suffering. We depend upon a good, good father who adores us. Listen. God loves you. If you put your faith and trust in God, you have all the love he has to offer. And so depend on him. What good father gives you a scorpion when you ask for bread? God blesses us. He loves us. He adores us. He's worth our dependence. Every good thing, every good thing, Every good thing comes from the Father. So we depend upon him. That's why Jesus says, when you go to pray, pray like this. Daddy, give me, give me more. No. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know the rest of how the King James Version goes. I feel like you always got to hit it with the dies and these. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from our evil, from the evil, from the evil one. Deliver us. God, I hallow your name. It's bigger than any other name. The Alpha, the Omega, the name above all names. I'm dependent upon you and all your glory. I put you properly on your throne where I'm so tempted to put myself there. And I ask God, would you give me my daily needs? Will you provide for me? Will you give me my daily bread? Will you give me that which I need to sustain myself and survive? And God, would you forgive me? Because I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself enough to absolve myself of my brokenness and sin. So will you do it? In return, I'll forgive everyone who's wronged me. And God, would you protect me and deliver me? Because I can't protect me and deliver me. I can't protect me and deliver me when the wolves surround me. I can't protect me and deliver me when shame is overwhelming. I can't protect me and deliver me when my sin struggles are are breaking me down. I can't protect and deliver me. But you can. Deliver me. 
It's dependence that the Lord is asking of us to depend upon Him for every need. For every need. Do you remember what He says in Matthew 6? We preached on this a few weeks ago. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first. Seek me out of a dependence posture. That's why we're, I mean, all the more pressing into prayer more and more. It's something that we do as a staff. It's something we do before the gatherings. But we realize, God, we need to cry out to you, Lord. We need to cry out to you for these marriages to receive breakthrough. God, we need to cry out to you for our kids to walk in faith. God, we need to cry out for you for us to make budget. God, we need to cry out for you for us to have rapport with the outside community. God, we need to cry out to you because we are dependent upon you. We're dependent upon Him. And so we embrace dependence. And finally, we walk in confidence. McCoy has confidence when I'm around. When we're at the zoo, he has confidence. When we go to the Lunar Festival to, to interact with the Lincoln District, and there's all those firecrackers, and he's scared, but he's on daddy's shoulders, so he begins to enjoy the loud noises. He's confident. Daddy's got me. He's got me. And I instill that in him, encouraging him. You've got this, buddy. You can do this, buddy. And that's me, a flawed, sin-broken, shame-ridden human trying to make it through. What more could our heavenly, perfect Father do for us? And instilling the confidence. You are a son or a daughter. You are made in my image. Your worth cannot be given to you by any man or any woman or any ideology. I give the word over you. I give the word. I speak the identity. I speak the truth. And out of that truth, we can walk in confidence. We can walk in confidence knowing that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto us. We can walk in confidence knowing that our shepherd is with us in the valley and he means to bless us on the other side. Walk in confidence. Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how you came in here. I'm sure you could read between the lines. I'm coming in here, as we were saying a little earlier, crusty. You might be walking in here a little crusty too. Crusty from a hard week. Crusty from the shame that kept you up last night because you can't break through this habitual struggle. I just want to encourage you that he is in the room. He is drawing near. And he is inviting you to be like a child. To come to him, believing what he says to be true. To come to him, believing that his way is better. To come to him, believing that he says what he says is true. That he can renew and restore us. And reconcile us back to God as flawed as we are. And that he is with us no matter what the trial, the pain, or the suffering is in our life. He is with us. So I want to encourage you as we step into communion, as we step into this next set of worship, to cast your burdens at the feet of Christ who seeks to heal and set you free. 
And if you have yet to receive him as Lord and Savior, I would love to meet you in the back. Because there is a God who is desiring, desiring to be made right with you. There is a God who desires to heal you of your brokenness and put you back together. There is a God who seeks to heal. And he's here inviting you today. Amen. So God, we bless you. Lord, we recognize our great need. We we recognize our great struggle. God, we recognize that there is no way to part the sea that stands before us. But God. But God. But you make a way. But you draw us near. Like little children. You say, come to me so that I can embrace you and bless you. God, I just pray that we would come into that presence. That we would run into your arms with trust and dependence and leave that place with confidence, knowing that you go before us, that you are behind us, propelling us forward, that you are beside us, encouraging us through it, and that you are within us, making all things new. Lord, we love you, we bless you, and we pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So now is the time that we take for communion. This is not just a rote rip and dip. There's actually no ripping involved. They've already all been ripped. As Tyler was displaying with his hand model hands and the gloves, of course, germs. Don't pass this moment by. Don't speed past this moment. I want to invite you to step into this moment of communion that has been a practice, a discipline, a habit of worship from the church for thousands of years to reflect on the sacrifice Christ made on your behalf. His body broken for you. His blood shed for you. So come forward when you're ready. Receive the sacrament. Receive communion. And receive your forgiveness.